I want to do something a little bit different this morning, and I want to see if I can uh, maybe have the kids come on up here. If you uh, maybe are from five years old to 12 years old, if you guys want to roll up here. All right, I'm going to have you guys go ahead and sit down here for a second. I love the kids of Antioch. You guys are awesome. All right, so first of all, what I want to do, you guys usually don't get to get up on stage very often, do you? No, unless it's after service and we're tearing down. And then we're always saying, get off the stage, get off the stage, right? (laughs) Yeah. Well, can you guys look around and see if there's anything different on the stage this morning than usual? Oh, wow, wow, wow. Yes, what do you see? Just tell me one. A cross. Okay, and how about you, sweetie? And there's a manger. And, and how about you? And there's flowers. Yes, those are beautiful flowers, aren't they? I need a young, yes, what do you see? Yeah, the crown of thorns. And it's super spiky and pokey, isn't it? Do you think that would feel good? Oh, no, it's, it, it, it would hurt. I was, I was going to bring it down and let you guys all touch it and play with it. I don't think that'd be a good idea. No, no, really. What do you see? Yes, plates. Awesome. What do you see? The table for communion. Awesome, awesome. Okay, I'll tell you what. Why don't you guys come up here and let's go. If you're five to seven, why don't you guys go take a look at the manger, all right? And if you guys are eight to 10, why don't you guys go take a look at the table? And if you are uh, 11 to 13, go ahead and just hang out by the cross and then we'll switch here for a little bit. I just want you guys to get up and be as close to that stuff as possible. And my son's looking at the pulpit. (laughs) Uh, Feeling destiny calling him or something. Awesome, awesome. And you guys can switch if you want. You guys can rotate. All of you manger guys, come over here and take a look at the table. And the cross guys, go over here to the manger. And then the table guys can go over here to the cross and feel, feel free to touch it and just look at it from all different angles. We had some guys build these things for us. In fact, uh, I just wanna say thank you for our set builders. Those of you who build our cross and our table and our manger, thank you so much, great job. <laughs> and once you guys take a look at that station. You guys can go ahead and rotate one more time and then we'll go back down. (laughs) Okay. Why don't you guys come on down back here? We'll, we'll, we'll take a look at that crown of thorns in a minute. Did you guys all have a great time at the treasure hunt this morning? Yeah. Did you guys get any prizes? Awesome. All right. Who can tell me something special about this day? Uh, Milan. We are celebrating Jesus being risen from the dead. Amen. Absolutely. Yeah, yes. And that's Easter. 
Okay, super. All right, so tell me something that's special or significant about this manger. Yeah, Emily. You bet, that's where Jesus was born. Anybody else can tell me something special about the manger? Yes, Selah. That's where Jesus laid when he was born. Yeah, Did, was he born in like a really nice hotel with a real comfy king-size bed? No, who, was, who else was around when Jesus was born? What else was around? Yeah, Mary and Joseph and what else? Yeah, and animals. Yeah, what kind of animals? Yeah, go ahead and shout them out. All kinds of animals, just shout them out. Donkeys and horses and sheep and cows and did somebody say king did you say pigs did you say i don't know if i don't know did you say king did i say kangaroos who said kangaroos that's just i don't think i don't think there's any kangaroos maybe the australian version eh no what about this table over here anything special about this table yes they took and what's communion Ooh, that's a that's wow if you guys can explain this uh yeah yes tell me tell me Beautiful. This is my body and this is my blood. And they pass it around. And we did something special on Friday night. Do you remember what it was called? Um, Passover. Passover. We had a Passover meal and we're going to talk more about that. Yes. It is to remember him. What is your name? Samuel. That is perfect. What a great, great answer. All right. How about, uh, how about behind me? Can somebody tell me? Yes, sweetie, out here in the back where Jesus died on the cross. Anybody else know something special about that? Yeah, Chris. It was where he was crucified. Perfect. And you bet. And uh, yes, Gloria. And he died for us. Yes, yes. And he took away our sins. All right, that's, that's the message. We can go home now. <laughs> You guys, that was awesome. Where are those, where's that, where's that? Oh, wow. Come over here. Let me see that. Yeah, I'm not touching that either. Does, does anyone want to uh, maybe put their finger on one of those things? Yeah, gently, very, very gently. Go ahead, come up here. Very, very gently. Yeah, just very, very gently. Yeah, careful. No pushing. <laughs> we'll, we'll get you guys over here in a minute, okay? You feel that? Yeah. Can you, I'm going to let Pastor David go around on this side so these guys can see it too. Did you get to touch it? You got to touch it? It's sharp, isn't it? You can touch it here in a little bit, okay, bud? Yeah. Can you imagine that being driven into the top of your head, onto your forehead? I'd do that. You would do that? Right now. I'm not going to let you. <laughs> it, it meant something when he did it. Awesome. Hey, I want to read you guys a story real quick. Is that cool? Yeah. Can I read you guys a story? Awesome. All right. How many of you guys have heard the legend of the three trees? Yeah. How many have not and want to? Okay. I only need one. So this is perfect. All right. Are you, are you sitting up here next to me? Is that what you're doing? Okay. Here we go. Moms and dads, these guys have sat with us for like the past four weeks. So 
we're, we're going we're gonna to spend some time with these guys. Is that all right? Yeah. Awesome. All right, here we go. Life burst into the world on the third day of creation. I'm going to show you guys pics too. From under the water, God brought forth the earth, peeking up through the earth's soil. Green plants waved like millions of tiny flags. Grasses and bushes and trees grew into every size and shape. The trees towered above all. There were pine trees and poplar and olive and oak and willow and walnut and and apple. And each held its own seeds and fruit. So that's creation. And all of the trees are popping up out of the ground. What an incredible moment. Their seeds and fruits scattered as animals carried them from the trees. In a green valley, a fox dropped an olive pit. And along a rocky shore, a stork split open an acorn. And on a tall mountain, a goat accidentally shook loose a seed from a pine cone. I'm on the edge of my seat. (laughs) The pit, the acorn, and the seed grew into saplings. Watered by the rain and warmed by the sun, they reached upward. In time, a beautiful olive tree blossomed in the valley. A mighty oak stood on a rocky coast and a tall pine tree stood on the mountain. As each grew, it dreamed of what it would become. It's okay. The olive tree dreamed of becoming a beautiful and important treasure chest. Decorated with sparkling jewels, it would hold the greatest treasure in the world. One day, when a woodsman came to the forest, it seemed that the olive tree's dream would come true. So he wanted to be a beautiful treasure chest. The woodsman chose the olive tree from all of the other trees. The olive tree trembled with happiness. At last, it would become a beautiful treasure chest. The woodsman took the olive tree to his workshop. He cut the wood into boards and hammered them into a box. Hmm. But to the tree's surprise, the woodsman did not make the box into a treasure chest. He did not polish the olive tree's fine wood or fill the box with gold. Instead, he dragged the box into a stable with messy sheep and smelly cows and noisy chickens. Can everybody, everybody give me your best chicken right now? All right. The, did I hear, that's a turkey. Somebody's saying gobble, gobble, gobble. The woodsman, the woodsman filled the box with hay, just like our hay over there. The olive tree saw that it had become a manger, a mere feeding box for animals. It knew then that it would never hold a treasure. See, you guys see that? As the olive tree's dream faded in the dusty stable, the oak tree looked out over the water with a dream of its own, 
Strong and proud, it dreamed that its mighty trunk would be made into a mighty ship that would carry a king. Maybe I've missed my calling. I should be like a first grade teacher or something. One day, shipbuilders cut down the oak tree and hauled it to their boatyard. They sawed the board trunk into boards, the broad trunk into boards. They bent the boards to form the sides of the boat. With each passing day, the oak tree felt certain that its dream was coming true. Dreamed of being a huge boat that would carry the king or a king. But when the shipbuilders were done, the oak felt small and weak. It had not become a mighty ship at all. Instead, it was a little fishing boat launched on a calm lake. The mighty oak knew then that a king would never sail in a little fishing boat. Like our canoe, huh? High on the mountainside above the oak, the pine tree stood tall. Many times it saw people in the valley looking up at it. The pine tree hoped that its towering branches would remind people of the glory of God's creation. It dreamed that it would always stay on that mountain and point people to God. The towering pine tree wanted to point people to God. One night, a fierce storm shook the mountain. The pine tree bent and swayed in the powerful wind as thunder boomed. A bolt of lightning flashed from the sky and splintered the tree's trunk. With a sound almost as loud as the thunder, the pine tree crashed to the ground. All it wanted to do was stand tall on that mountain and point people to God. The pine tree's dream crashed down with it. No one would ever look up to it again. Its long trunk now just blocked the mountain road. The tree thought that things could not possibly get worse. But then strong soldiers hauled it to a scrapyard. Unused and forgotten, the pine lay on a heap of old lumber. It knew then that a piece of scrap wood could never point people to God. So all of these trees, their dreams seem like they were falling apart, huh? Anybody have an idea what happens? Oh, many years passed. The tree's great dreams seemed so far away that they stopped thinking about them. For what greatness could come to a feeding box, a fishing boat, and a scrap of wood? But God has his own plan for each of the trees. Am I tearing up right here? What is going on? (laughs) One night, shepherds keeping watch over their flock saw an angel. A great light shone all around and the angel told them not to be afraid. Anybody have any idea what's going on? For their savior had been born in Bethlehem and just as the angel had said, the shepherds found the baby lying in a manger. The olive tree had not become a great treasure chest, but now, as a manger, it held the greatest treasure of all time, God's only son, Jesus. Whoever wrote this was brilliant. (laughs) Basically. The infant Jesus grew into a man, and the man traveled to the very lake 
that held the oak fishing boat. One day, the little boat carried Jesus onto the lake with fishermen. And suddenly, a great storm swept over the lake. Water washed into the boat. The oak boat struggled with all of its strength so that it would not sink. Quiet, be still. That's not me speaking to you guys. That's Jesus speaking to the waves. They're like, mom? The storm stopped and the oak boat felt Jesus's power. The boat had never carried a king of this world, but it now carried the king of kings. Come on, somebody. I'm about to preach this thing. The pine tree knew nothing of Jesus or his miracles, but one morning it heard angry voices in the distance. Crucify him, the people yelled, and soldiers came to the scrapyard and they grabbed the forgotten pine. The pine tree expected to be cut into firewood. Instead, the soldiers cut its trunk into two pieces to make a cross. And then they laid the cross on Jesus's back. Remember what the pine tree wanted to do? He wanted to stand tall and give God glory by pointing people to God. Remember that? On a hillside, under a blackening sky, the pine cross swayed as the soldiers raised it. It did not know whether it could bear the weight of the man upon it. The pine tree had wanted only to point people to God. Now it knew it would become a sign of death. Jesus died that day to take away the sins of all who believe in him. He was taken down from the cross and laid inside a tomb. And then a wondrous thing happened. Bless you. Three days later, (laughs) three days later, Jesus rose to life again. And so Jesus fulfilled his heavenly father's plan for him. Bless you again. And what of the three trees? They too had fulfilled God's plans for them. Miraculously, God's plans had taken them beyond their youthful dreams. The olive wood manger held the greatest treasure of all, God's beloved son. The oak fishing boat had carried the king of kings, God's son, during his work on earth. And to this day, bless you again, the cross points people to God as a symbol of his great love for us. So they all fulfilled their dreams, but they did it in different ways. All right, here's the closer in the altar call. Sometimes the dreams that we have for ourselves are much smaller than the dreams that God has for us. The three trees dreams came true just not in the way they imagined. I'm preaching to the parents right now. (laughs) And so it is with each of us. For if we follow God's path, we will travel far beyond even our greatest dreams. Awesome. All right, kiddos. Hey guys, thanks so much. You guys can go sit with your folks now. And pastoral promises not to preach past 12. (laughs) David, could you snag that pulpit for me, bud? 
If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. And so that we get a good sense of the context there. We'll start with verse one. Matthew 28, verse one. Father, we thank you so much for what you have done already this morning, how you have already uh, touched hearts, how you have already revealed yourself in so many ways. And we ask today that by your spirit, you would reveal Jesus through the preaching of the word. We thank you that this is a day that you have made, a day where we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and our Savior, the Son of God, fully man, fully God. Oh, happy day indeed this is. It is the day that you destroyed the power of sin and the power of sickness and the power of death and the power of the grave. And we honor you today in Jesus' name. Antioch, let's say amen. amen. Matthew 28, verse one. Now, after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave and behold, a severe earthquake had occurred for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here. He is risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he was lying. I wanna talk with you guys here for a few minutes on some of the key elements that are on the stage, but also what I wanna talk about is this phrase right here that the angel says, he has risen just as he said. Just as he said. I wanna reinforce something in your faith this morning. I wanna reinforce something in your hearts. And that very simply is that God can be trusted. That when God says he's gonna do a thing, it may not look like we expected it to look, as we look at these three trees here, it may not be in the timing that we expect it to be in, but God's word can be trusted. And if he said it, then he'll do it. And the beautiful thing is that we as believers who are in the faith, that we as children of God, if it doesn't happen on this side of eternity, we have the great hope and we have the great faith that everything that God has promised will happen throughout eternity. The book of Numbers chapter 23, verse 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie. He is not a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? And it's a rhetorical question that essentially says, it means no, God is not a man that he should lie. Even on my best day, I do everything I can to keep my promises to my children, to my wife, to the people that I lead, to myself, but even on my best day, there are times when I say that I'm gonna do something and I struggle following through. And it could be just as simple as saying I'm gonna wake up at a certain time and eight snoozes later, you know, I finally get up. Or saying I'm gonna go work out and eight months later, I finally get to the gym. Or it could be something as big as uh, I promised my family 
that I would do a certain thing or, or, or provide a certain thing. And just with the busyness and the demands of life, some of that just slips our mind and our attention. But I love the scripture because it says, God is not a man that he should lie. He never forgets. He never gets too busy. He never gets too distracted. If he says he's gonna do something, scripture actually says this, heaven and earth will pass away, but his word will never pass away. If he says that he'll do a thing, he, remember, he remembers everything that he speaks. Every word of comfort, every promise of provision, every promise of healing, he's watching over his word to perform it. And here's the thing that gives me great hope, especially on a day like this, before the first sin was ever committed, before the first man was ever created to commit that sin, God had already established a plan to take care of our mistakes. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 through 21. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 says, for you know that it was not with perishable things. It was not with things that waste away, that perish or decay, such as silver or gold, as valuable and costly as those things may be, we were not redeemed with perishable things. From the empty way of life handed down to us from our ancestors, but we were redeemed. We were changed. We were bought back by the precious blood of Christ, who was a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world. So before we were ever created, before anything was ever set in motion in the natural realm, God had already spoken something into existence and he was watching over his plan of salvation to perform it. I believe that the father and the son were having a conversation before man was ever created. They were having a conversation and in that conversation, the son knew that should man ever screw up, that he was gonna be the one. He was gonna be the Passover lamb to take care of man's mistakes. I wanna go to three specific elements that God has watched over throughout our salvation history. Number one, we're gonna look at the manger, the virgin birth. We find this story in the book of Matthew chapter one, beginning in verse 18. And could we maybe get a little bit of cool air in here? It's, it's a little toasty. Somebody says, preacher, that's the best thing you said all morning. Matthew chapter one, we're gonna look at verse 18. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Very, very important part of our Christian doctrine and our Christian faith. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and he said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Watch this. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had already spoken. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had already spoken. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had already promised would happen. Verse 23, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
You may not know this, but in our story, in our salvation story that begins all the way back in the beginning of the Bible in a book called Genesis, in chapter one, we find God creating everything. In chapter two, we find God creating man, creating woman. The first marriage takes place. The first assignment takes place. And then in chapter three, we have a very definitive break in the story. This is called the fall. This is where our enemy comes onto the scene. This is where he deceives Eve. And then Adam willfully uh, disobeys the command of God not to touch the fruit from the tree that God commanded them not to touch. Well, after this entire episode took place, God is now uh, doling out the consequences of their sin. And he speaks to the serpent. And in Genesis chapter three, verse 14, he says this. So the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, because you have deceived my people, because you have led them into disobedience against me, this is what he says, cursed are you above all livestock. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. Just a side note, I was always wondering if he was not crawling on his belly prior to that curse, which is kind of a funny thought to think of. Anyways, I'm sorry, I digress. Verse 15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. Watch this, he will crush your head. You know what this is? This is a prophetic word that God gives thousands of years before Jesus ever comes on the scene. And this is what he says to Satan. He says, you deceived man, my prized possession. I created man to be the apex of my glory. I created them to be in family relationship as sons and daughters with me. And you stole that from them. You messed the whole story up. And now here's what's gonna happen. Because of what you did to my prized possession, mankind, he said, through a man, your head, your authority will be crushed. God spoke this promise in the very first chapter of our story. And thousands of years later, God fulfills this by bringing Jesus onto the scene because God's word can be trusted. And if he says it, he'll do it. Galatians chapter four, verse four, many years after Jesus was already born, many years after his life, his death, his resurrection, the apostle Paul says this, he says, in the fullness of time, God sent his son to be born of a virgin in the fullness of time. In other words, when everything was lined up exactly the way that God wanted to be lined up, you know, there are certain promises that we're believing for, promises of healing, promises of provision, promises of wisdom, direction, so many things that we know God has spoken to us personally through his word, or he's given us a prophetic word, or he's put an oppression upon our spirit. And here's what Galatians 4, 4 says, in the fullness of time. There is a time element to the fulfillment of every one of God's promises. And here's the thing, if we don't know the time and if we don't know the day and if we don't know the hour, then what we do is we continue to trust in his character. We continue to trust in his faithfulness, his goodness. We continue to war over that word, contend for that word, release our faith towards that word, confess and declare the fulfillment of that word because here's what I know. Situations may change, circumstances may change, answers may be delayed, but God will never change. His character is everlasting and he can be trusted. We find another prophetic word in Isaiah chapter nine. That says, for to us, a child is born. I'm reading in verse six. To us, a child is born and to us, a son is given. 
and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Again, this is a prophetic word that was given hundreds of years before the man, the baby, Jesus was ever placed in a manger. The second thing that we see God speaking into many, many years before this ever happened was this table. And for those of you who aren't familiar with uh, some of the Jewish traditions and the calendar, this Friday was a very, very important day. It's called Passover. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 12. And while you're turning to Exodus, I'm gonna read a New, pa- a new Testament passage in Matthew 26. Matthew 26, this is actually the story of where Jesus has his last Passover meal with his disciples And many of you may know this as the Last Supper, which was actually a Passover meal. In Matthew chapter 26, the scripture says in verse 17, on the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? And he replied, go into the city to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says, my appointed time is near. I am going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and they prepared the Passover. Now let's look at Exodus chapter 12. This is an Old Testament passage of scripture that gives the account of the story of how the children of Israel were delivered from Pharaoh and from Egypt. They served as slaves in that land for 430 years. And when we were sharing Passover Uh, As a family, this past Friday night, there's certain readings that we read through, and we basically read through from Genesis 15 and Exodus chapter 6 and into Exodus chapter 12 and 15. We went through all the different plagues that happened there and how all those different plagues are symbolic of things that are going on in our life right now. Now, we're not in bondage to a literal Pharaoh. We don't live in slavery in a land called Egypt like the children of Israel did. But we do, before we receive the liberation of Christ our Savior and Christ our King, this is a prophetic or a symbolic picture of how our lives were lived in slavery to sin, in slavery to Satan. And we needed to be delivered just like the children of Israel needed a very real deliverance from very real oppressors, from a very real slavery. We are in need of a very real deliverance from sin and from the clutches of Satan. Exodus chapter 12, this is the account of when God instituted Passover. And he instituted Passover as an ordinance to be remembered throughout all of history. And it was the final night, the 10th plague that came upon the people of Egypt. Verse one, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month. The first month, of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people that are there. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year old males without defect and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. And then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. 
That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs. You guys remember the bitter herbs? Yeah. And what do the bitter herbs tell us? The bitter herbs tell us that sin is yucky and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over a fire with the head, legs, and internal organs. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some of it is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt, and I will strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the doorpost of your houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day that you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. Seth, if I could have you in the worship team, come on up. We're gonna prepare our hearts in a minute to receive communion. The book of 1 Corinthians chapter five, verse seven says this. It says that Jesus is our Passover lamb. What a beautiful picture, what a powerful picture that in the Old Testament, the children of Israel took a lamb that was without blemish and without defect and they slaughtered that lamb and they put the blood on their physical, literal physical doorpost of their house. And when they saw, when the angel of death saw that blood, it passed over. The good news that we have is that we don't have to keep slaughtering animals every year at Passover. The book of Hebrews says in chapter nine that Jesus as our Passover lamb, he was crucified once and for all. We don't have to keep slaughtering bulls and and goats and, and pigeons because Jesus was the sacrifice that was enough. His blood was more than enough to redeem us from every sin, every form of guilt and shame and condemnation and fear and anxiety and every form of sickness, the blood of Jesus is enough. It is more than enough. In the book of Isaiah chapter 53, we see the promise. Beginning in verse six, it says that we all like sheep have gone astray. Anybody can attest to that? Can anybody attest to... uh, going your own way and making foolish decisions and maybe even willfully sinning against God. I'll be the only one then who confesses here this morning. Each of us has turned to his own way and the Lord laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted. I'm in verse seven, yet he did not open his mouth. He was like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Those of you who are familiar with the story, you may recall that when John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, who was out baptizing people in the wilderness, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of their sins, in the book of John chapter one, he sees Jesus and he says something. He says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. On the night, that Jesus was betrayed. While they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given things, he broke that bread. And he said to his disciples, 
take and eat of this unleavened bread, which is very, very significant in and of itself. For this is my body. And then he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Communion attendants, if you guys would come on up here and grab the plates, find your positions. We're gonna release all of you row by row, beginning from the front and have you released towards the outside row. Come and receive your elements of communion. And then you can go back to your seats via the inside row once these guys all get in place. Once I see that everyone's been served, we'll take some time and we'll reflect. There's actually a moment in the Passover meal right before we're about to drink. I believe it's the third cup. And it's a time of reflection. It's a time to allow God to search our hearts. It's a, it's a time, you know, leaven in the scriptures represents sin. And before we take the unleavened bread, which represents a bread without sin, we're to search our hearts so that we don't just take this flippantly and we don't take it in haste because what we're about to take represents Jesus Christ himself. It represents our Passover lamb. It represents the bread of life who lived a sinless life without the leaven of sin in his life. It represents his blood, which was shed for the forgiveness of all sins. And guys, listen, <laughs> we're about to rejoice here in a minute because here's the good news. The good news is that the shackles of sin, they don't belong on you. The shackles of guilt and condemnation and self-hatred and self-rejection, that's not your destiny. That's not your lot and your portion in life. Looking to the future without hope, without vision, without dreams, that's not why God created you. God created you to have intimate fellowship with him through his son, Jesus, who is the door and who is the way unto God. Friend, I want you to know there's nothing that's too difficult for him. There's no besetting sin. There's no temptation. There's no struggle. There is no stronghold in your life that is greater than the power of God. Don't give up. Continue to trust that what he said, he's faithful to perform it. Starting with the first row, ushers, if you could help me, we're just going to release you guys to come up and grab.